First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. The way we think about the church sometimes causes us to forget about our mission. Pastor J.D. Greer reminds us that some people think about the church as if it's a cruise ship. In their view, the church exists for our comfort and our convenience. And so if the church ever stops catering to our needs, well, then we just hop on a different cruise ship. But that's not what the church is at all. Some people think about the church like it's a battleship. That's a lot closer to the truth. We are in a spiritual battle against real spiritual enemies, and the consequences are eternal. But the problem with that image is it's easy to think that it's the pastors of the church that fire the guns while everyone else is just along for the ride. But that's not how Jesus describes the church either. Really? The church is more like an aircraft carrier. And the people who make up the church are the planes who take off from the deck and go out on the tailor-made mission that God has for each of us. For some of us, that mission is here in Melbourne. For some, that mission will be in a different city, perhaps, as a part of a new church plant. And for some of us, that mission will carry us to the other side of the globe to share Jesus with the nations. And that's why the measure of our success will never be our seating capacity. It will always be our sending capacity. Because no matter where we're sent, we've all been sent to live on mission every day. Jesus said in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Hey everyone, my name's Adam Bryant and I'm living missionally here in Melbourne and in Palm Bay, Florida. Hey, I'm Adam Wallace, and I'm living on mission in Columbus, Ohio, serving at LifePoint Church as a church planning catalyst. One small way that I've been able to be a part of kingdom building here locally in Melbourne and Palm Bay is just through discipling my children. Hey friends, my name's John Leathers, and I currently serve as the student pastor here at Church at Vieira in Melbourne, Florida, and I am incredibly, incredibly grateful for the impact that First Melbourne has had on my life. My name is Robin Shaver, and I'm living on mission here in Melbourne, Florida, by serving at the Hacienda Girls Ranch. A favorite night of the week is Tuesday evenings when we go and have dinner with these precious young girls. First Melbourne is where I surrendered my life to Christ. It's where I surrendered my life to ministry, and also, it is where I met my wife. My name is Ralph Thomas, and I'm a member of First Baptist Church. I like to talk about my ministry outside the church at the Fountains, a local senior citizen here in Melbourne. I've been teaching uh, Bible study for a couple years now. Can you see? We're Heath and Jennifer Malden, and we'll be serving on mission in Prosperity, South Carolina, and we'll be serving as the family pastor at Bethel Baptist Church. Hi, I'm Mark Ragsdale. I'm on mission in Vieira, Florida. It was in 1992 that a team from First Baptist Church Melbourne called me to be the pastor of this new church that they were starting. We are so thankful for First Baptist Melbourne and the role that y'all have played in our lives. It was here at First Baptist Melbourne where I became a believer and I learned what it meant to live out the gospel. Uh, First Baptist had a big impact on my life and I just want to say that I'm grateful for all the people who were a part of that journey. It's given me the opportunity to be here in Columbus to serve and to help plant churches in a place where 88% of the people would say they do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I've always said that Larry Mazur is one of my heroes as long as we're with the church at First Baptist Church Melbourne for the sacrifice they made to start our church. I'm so thankful to be part of a church family that's not just about meeting together and coming together inside the building on Sunday mornings, but leaving the church and making a difference in the community. 
So greater things to me means that Jesus Christ is all of us. To make disciples. Share it everywhere. For the glory of God. That is why we're here. I love that video. Uh, that was a video that we did for Greater Things. And uh, as we were talking about this uh, sermon this morning, I decide, we decided to go ahead and show it again to remind us that the church isn't a cruise ship. It's not a battleship, but it is an aircraft carrier. Obviously, I'm not Pastor Scott, and so I know uh, I've gotten a chance to meet many of you, but my name is Blaine St. Germain, and I'm the student pastor here. Moved here uh, this summer from Louisiana. And just to give you a heads up right now, uh, I am I am Cajun through and through. Um, yeah, we eat all that weird stuff. And, um, but one thing they say about Cajuns is we can't talk if you tie our hands together, all right? So, uh, so I might be a little bit more demonstrative than Pastor Scott usually is. So, uh, so please give me a break on that. I've had several people ask me, uh, you know, since we moved here in the summer, how are you liking it? How do you like Florida and all that? And my answer has always been, I love it. I love the weather. I love the people. I love the church. Uh, there's, not, there's not many things I can think about missing in Louisiana. And then this week happened. Who knows what happened this week in Louisiana? Crawfish season. And so now all my Facebook feed is people taking pictures of, of, of crawfish, and I'm like, oh, wow. You know, now I found something I miss. All right. So if any one of you decides to have a crawfish bowl, please invite me and my wife over. Um, Talking about Valentine's Day, that's what she said she wanted, uh, was a crawfish bowl. I'm like, uh, you're kind of out of luck here. So, uh, but anyways, it's great to, to be with you this morning. And we're going to wrap up um, the series Pastor Scott's been going through uh, called Revolutions, the Discipleship Pathway. And week one, he talked about, you know, so, so this is a circle. This is circular. And week one, he talked about the, the beginning process of making a disciple is sharing. We've got to share our faith. We've got to share the love of Christ. And then the, the second week was to connect. We, we have to connect them uh, to God and connect them with other believers. And then a couple weeks ago, he talked about equipping, of us investing in their lives and equipping. And this week, we're going to wrap it up with sending. Because the discipleship process is not finished. It is not finished until we have sent them out, until we have mobilized them and released them to send them out. A discipleship revolution will only happen as we see revolutions around the discipleship pathway grow exponentially. See, we're to invest in people's lives to send them out. As a, as a former pastor, this was something that I struggled with with our church because uh, we would have small groups and we would encourage them. You know, transformation happens in, in, in groups. And so we would encourage them, hey, get in your groups, empower, equip, and release. Empower, equip, and release. And you know what they would want to do? Empower, equip. And empower some more and equip some more. And empower some more and equip some more. And they're like, we're not releasing. We like this. Guess what, church? That's not what Jesus did. We, we, we get in our groups and we like our groups. We build rapport and we build camaraderie. And, and we like the people that we build relationship with. And, and discipleship becomes more self-centered about what I want rather than the kingdom. Think about it. Jesus' disciples struggled with this concept as well. Jesus' disciples didn't want him to go. We read that in John 13 and 14. 
where Jesus' disciples were like, hold up, what? You, you doing what? You, you going where? And Jesus told them, you will do far greater things with me gone. I have empowered and equipped you. Now the, now the, the advocate is going to come and release you. And we see what God did in the book of Acts. Church, discipleship has got to be kingdom focused and not selfish focused. And that is what, that is this last, uh, this last step of, of being a disciple of this discipleship revolution, this discipleship pathway. This was one of the things that I loved about when we came to First Melbourne is the, is the vision to make disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God, to, to focus on the Great Commission, to never lose sight, to never lose focus, that, that, that our purpose here is to mobilize this gospel. There are people out there right now who are, who are struggling with depression, struggling with suicide, no hope. And the church is to not just gather, but to scatter. It's to come in, be encouraged, come in, be lifted up, come in, be empowered, and then go and mobilize this gospel with us wherever we go. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said it like this. He said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Christianity without discipleship, without sharing, connecting, equipping, and sending We cannot lose sight of that last word, releasing is Christianity without Christ. If you have your Bibles, we're going to dig into into this great commission, Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, this is where where Jesus gives this great commission that we talk about so often. Uh, But often, when we quote the great commission, we start with verse 19. But this morning, we're going to read verse 18. And this is what Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 says. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for for your love for us, Lord. We thank you that you've given our life reason and purpose, Lord. And I pray that everything we are, Lord, will be an overflow of this purpose. God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this Great Commission, in in these three verses, we can point out four things Four things in this passage uh, where Jesus is, is, is telling us the mission for the church. The mission for the church. The first one is found in verse 18. And he says, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. All authority. The first one is his power. See, we talk about go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. We talk about that all the time. But let's not lose sight of what he says before that. He says, and and, and don't miss this. He says, all authority has been given to me, therefore you go. Have you ever saw that? He doesn't say all authority has been given to you. He said, because all authority has been given to me, you go. 
I am giving you the mission of going to make disciples. The implication is clear. As we go and share his message, we'll have his power. Romans 8, 11 says it this way. It says, since we have Christ and we've been raised with him, the same power that conquered the grave lives in us. Think about that. The same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave lives in us. Are we living a life full of power, church? Or is our lives, is our attempt to make disciples and share the news based on our own talents, our own, our own abilities? I brought this lamp up here. It's a cheap target lamp, but it works well. But guess what? Everything's here. It's got a, a, a switch. It's got a bulb. It's got the wires. This lamp is, is ready to fulfill its purpose, to light something up. But what's the problem? It's not plugged up to this power source. How many of us are like this lamp? God has called us to be a light in the darkness, but we're not plugged to the power source. We can't do it on our own strength. We can't do it with our own intellect. We can't do it because we go to church and I read our Bibles and we pray. We've got it. We can only do it when we're plugged to the power source. Verse 17 talks about when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then verse 18 says, hey, all power, all authority has been given to me, now go. I've always found that amazing. That these disciples... After everything they've seen, after walking with Jesus, seeing him, him raise Lazarus from the dead, seeing him heal the lepers, seeing all these amazing miracles, and finally they saw him on the cross. They know he died. They know they buried him. And he had three days later, they, uh, he rose again. Yet some doubted. And what was Jesus' response to them? Oh, you're unworthy, go. No. It says, some doubted in verse 17. Then verse 18, it says, all authority has been given to me, now go. So often, we don't make disciples because of our own shortcomings. We've allowed the enemy to blind us, to let us focus on our own shortcomings. And guess what? You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. That was my prayer when, when Pastor Scott asked me to get up here and preach. I'm like, Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm not. But God doesn't look for worthiness. He looks for submission. He looks for those who say, you know what, Lord? I know my shortcomings, but I submit to you. The second thing we see, so we see first his power, then we see his purpose. Right after he tells us about his power, he states, go make disciples. Disciple basically means a follower, a learner one who adheres to a leader and teacher. In John's gospel, Pastor Scott in that video quoted John 20, 21, which says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. John's gospel, at least 24 different occasions, uses this word, pimpam, which basically translates to the, the, the Father has sent, the one the Father has sent 24 times. John's gospel has this, has this motif, this narrative, 
that says, the Father has sent me. It puts the focus on the Father who through the action empowers the Son for a specific mission. And so we see that throughout the, the, the book of, of John, again and again and again, the one the Father sent, the one the Father sent, the one the Father sent. And then it kind of comes to a head in John 17, where Jesus knows what's before him. He knows the cross is before him. And then he comes and he prays to the Father. And, and, and he prays and he, he's, his, his prayer is basically, Lord, I have completed my mission now, I lift them up. Look at, look at what this passage says. It says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for successive generations. And he says, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. Look at the next verse. They don't have it. But it basically says, the next verse basically says, sorry. It basically says, just as you have sent me, I have sent you. It's a repeat from John 20, 21. So he's praying and he says, just as they have sent, you have sent me into the world, not to be of the world, to, but, to, but to be a light in the world, sanctify them. And just as you have sent me, I am now sending you. What's going on here? We see the handing of the torch. We see throughout the book of John where Jesus says, I'm the one the Father sent. I'm the one the Father sent. I'm the one the Father sent. And then in John 17, Jesus says, all right, Lord, while you have sent me, the mission's accomplished. Now I'm handing them the torch to go and do the mission that you have commissioned them to do now. The handing of the torch. Listen, church, if we're not living sent, we're not fulfilling our purpose as Christians. Remember the story of the fig tree when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on the last week of his life? He, he's staying in Bethany and he's coming into Jerusalem and he passes this fig tree. And the fig tree is all, is all, you know, beautiful leaves. It's just great. And they see it from the distance and they walk up to the fig tree and it has no fruit. And Jesus curses the fig tree and it dies. See, this is symbolic of the spiritual deadness of the nation of Israel. Because outwardly, they were very religious. Outwardly, they did all the right things. Outwardly, they had the part really well. They had scripture memorized, they fasted, they prayed. Outwardly, they were very religious. But inside, they were dead. And there is no fruit coming from their lives. Church, if we're not living sent, that's us. We can do all these things. We can go to all these Bible studies. We can memorize all these scriptures. Guess what? The Pharisees did that. But until we live sent, until we live on mission of why God has called us, we're not accomplishing what God has for us. We're not fulfilling our purpose. The next thing we see is his plan. So we see that we need his power. We see his purpose, which is to make disciples. Then we see his plan. It's basically three words, going, baptizing, and teaching. Or go, win, and instruct. Going is basically this active word 
And, and, and in the Greek, it basically translates to as you go. As you go. As you go to work. As you go to the gym. As you go to the beach. As you go to family reunions. As you go, make disciples. As you go. See, this absolutely means going on mission trips. I love how many mission trips our church has. So many opportunities. I mean, we have, we have our pastor who's in India right now. So many opportunities to go on mission. And as Dr. Ford said a couple of weeks ago, we should all be ready to go on mission wherever God sends us. God may be calling some of you to be part of the church planning pipeline. That is absolutely a part of Pastor Scott's heart. It's to, it's to not just say, hey, let's just do our own thing, but to go. Maybe God's calling some of you to do that, and you're just so uncomfortable, you're not ready. Maybe some of you, God is calling to the foreign mission field, or maybe it's just to be, it's to go to Brevard County and wherever you are to live on mission. Wherever God is sending us, we need to live sent by going, by going. The next one is baptizing. This indicates just basically the, the surrender to Christ, this surrender to him. And then to teach, the church is marked by obedience to God's commands. Listen, church, despite what this corner world tells us, God's word, not our feelings, not what we think, this is our authority. And, and despite how we may feel about certain things, this needs to be what drives us. This needs to be what compels us. And we need to teach this. Look at what Paul told his, his protege in, in, uh, in, in Timothy. In verse 4, it says, First uh, Timothy 2 verse uh, 4 says, Who desires all, God, who desire, God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of him. That's God's purpose. That's God's plan is for us to be lights in the darkness. I remember reading a story about, about the heir to the, to the Borden Empire, a young man uh, at the time named William, William Borden. He graduated from high school in 1904. And, and as a graduation gift, he, he, went, he went on a, on a world, world trip. So before he went to college, he just went around the world. And during that trip, God began to, to, to get a hold of his heart because he began to see all the brokenness. You know, he, he, he comes from a, from a family who's very, very wealthy, and he's an heir. And yet, for the first time, he's exposed to the true brokenness of the world. And God began to grip his heart. And so he comes back, and he goes to Yale. And, 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 and when he goes to Yale, when he, when he reflects on his trip, he writes in his Bible, no reserves. So he goes to Yale, and, and at that time, Yale was a religious school, and, and he saw that they were preaching God's word, but not living it. And it began to grip his heart even more. And he knew that God was calling him to something bigger. And so he graduates from Yale, and he gets all these, all these high-dollar paying jobs, and he turns them all down because he feels God is calling him to live on mission, to go on the mission field. 
the heir of the Borden Empire, becomes a missionary. And right under no reserves, he writes in his Bible, no retreats. So for a couple years, he's living on mission. He's in Egypt. And he comes down with a deadly disease. And, and, they, and, and in that time, they couldn't get to the family in time. And so they're trying to notify him, but they're not able to get him. And William Borden dies as a young man. And everybody's like, wow, I bet he regrets it. I, I, I bet how terrible somebody who had such a future ahead of him. He was the heir of one of the, one of the biggest empires in America at the time. And then his parents get his Bible and they see a third, a third phrase right under no reserves and no retreats. He writes, no regrets. No regrets. No regrets. I'm going to live on mission. I'm going to live for the very reason God has created me to live. And despite what happens to me, despite what, what attacks come my way, I'm going to have no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets because I'm living for something so much bigger than myself. So the last thing we see here, and, the, and we can't do the others without this one, and it's verse 20. He explains to us his presence. I am with you always. I am with you always. His power, his purpose, his plan, and his presence. He is with us always. And we cannot lose sight that we are not called to do this alone. We are not called to, to, to muster up the intellect, to muster up the discipline, to muster up the strength. We're called to be willing servants, submissive to his presence. Again, the awesome thing about this discipleship pathway, when we share, when we connect, when we equip, and when we send, guess what's going to happen? More are going to share, more are going to equip, uh, connect, more are going to equip, and more are going to send. And it's this never-ending, life-changing circle. It's, it's the model that Jesus set for the church. But yet, because of ourselves, because of our own uh, desires, our own ideologies, we fall short of, of what God has for us. So as we begin to wrap up, I just have three questions I want to ask us this morning. And the first one is this, what does it mean to live sent? I keep saying, it's not about you. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how much you know. It's not about how talented or your abilities. It's not about that. It's about living sent. So what does that mean? We see Paul write to the, to the church of Rome in, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Living sent basically means living out of that transformation. Everything we do in our daily lives is out of the transformation of what God is doing in our hearts. See, the Pharisees, they, they had it all right here. They had it all right here. 
but Jesus was right in front of them and they didn't recognize him. Have you ever thought about that? They memorized the entire Pentateuch, the entire Torah, the entire first five books of the Bible. These guys had memorized. I bet none of us could proclaim that. They knew what all the major and minor prophets taught about the Messiah. Yet he was right in front of their face and they didn't recognize him. See, that's the fear. When we try to do this without God's power, without his presence, with just trying to, trying to memorize more scripture. And listen, memorizing scripture is very important. Don't hear me say anything uh, of, the, of the other. It's very important. But you can't do it on your own. You will fail. We have to come to the place of not conforming to the things of this world, but allowing God to renew, to transform our minds the way we think daily. It's not enough to just take our lives and sprinkle some God in it. It's about giving God everything. So often we come to God with 90%, 95%, maybe even 99%. It's saying, Lord, you can have this, but you can't have this. What is this in your life? What is that this in your life? That you're saying, Lord, you can have all of this, but don't touch my kids. If you touch my kids, my world will come, be coming down. So is your life built on your own, your kids, or the gospel? Now, obviously, that's an extreme example. But the question is simple. What is our life built around? What, is, what are we building our lives around? Our families, our jobs. All these things are great things. They're blessings from God. But is your life built around that? And if you lose that, your life comes crumbling down. Guess what? If that's true in your life, you have an idol. You have an idol. If your life is built around anything other than Jesus Christ, that's the definition of an idol. Now, if something were to happen to somebody, would it be devastating? Absolutely. Would it be difficult? Absolutely. And I know some of you in here are going through some of that now, and I'm not trying to downplay that. Please hear my heart. I'm not trying to downplay your tragedy and your heartbreak. Please do not hear that. But Jesus is very clear in the Gospels that if we're going to transform this world, if we're going to see a revolution happen, if we're going to see our broken nation come back to God, it's got to start with his church rising up and not focusing on their circumstances, but focusing on the cross. Amen. Amen. That's what's going to transform us. And so if you've gone through tragedy, I'm sorry. And this church will walk with you through that because we are not playing that. But my encouragement to you is look towards the cross because it's there that we find our purpose. It's there that we find our fulfillment. It's there and only there do we see 
what God wants to do in us. The second one is what stops us from living sin. What's stopping you from living sin this morning? Why or what is it in your life? I've got a couple of examples. I could have done probably 100, but here's just a couple of main ones. Number one is distracted by busyness. John 10.10 tells us the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God has come to give us life and life abundantly. Have you bought into the lie of the world that you're so busy you're not fulfilling your purpose? You're so busy. You've got so much going on. You're pursuing all these other things that you're not fulfilling the purpose God has for you. Another thing that stops us from living sin is fear of rejection, feeling of of unworthiness. We kind of talked about that earlier. Remember, the same power that conquered the grave lives in you. So you aren't worthy by your own strength, but you're worthy because if you're a believer, you're adopted into the family of God. Third one, sin or control. Sin or control. Again, we talked about it earlier. We're we're willing, we come to God and we're like, here God, take most of it, just not this. And we, we hang on to control. We're not willing to give up that thing, that idol in our life. And distractions from the enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us that the enemy is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And, and he, he, pay, he places our focus on our sins or he places our focus on our past hurts. You know what I've seen in the church far too often? There are people in here who've been hurt. And you have a deep, deep wound. Maybe you've been hurt by, by your upbringing, by a family member, by a parent, by, by a, a, a spouse. But you have this deep, deep, deep wound. And every moment of every day, you live out of that wound. You live defeated. You live discouraged. You live beaten up. Even though scripture tells us if we're, if we're a child of God, we're victors. Yet so many in the church live defeated because the enemy has put our focus on that pain. The enemy has put our focus on that wound. When God says, I want to heal you, we focus on the wound. Listen to what A.W. Tozer says, and I don't have the quote up there, but listen to what A.W. Tozer says about this. He says, the reason why so many are still troubled, still seeking, and still making little effort um, to progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders interfering with God's work in us. Think about that. We're still trying to tell God what we want, rather than submitting to his will and what he wants. One of, one of the stories that really transformed my life whenever I was a teenager and going to church, um, I, I had one foot in the church and one foot in the world still. And, and I heard an actual life-transforming testimony from a, from a missionary from Guatemala. 
And this missionary, he, he stands up and he shares how Guatemala is so broken, how, how there was this man who, who got home one day uh, drunk, and he goes, and he's got a little girl and, and his wife, and he's so drunk, he's so disoriented, he goes and he, he tastes the innocence of his, of his daughter. And when his wife sees it and tries to stop him, he murders her and continues to take the innocence from his daughter. Now think about, we want to talk about tragedy, think about that. So this little girl's life is shattered in so many ways. The cops come, take, take the father, take him to jail. Fast forward 10 years. They're at this orphanage. It's a gated orphanage, and you can see. And, and this man walks up to the gates of this orphanage. And there's, there's armed guards at this gate. And, and the missionary and this little girl see this man, and they know exactly who it is. And the missionary, he, he starts to get, he starts to get, angry, right? He starts to say, oh no, you're not coming near this little girl. He, he begins to protect and he, he starts to walk to the armed guards to tell him to arrest this man because he was out on probation and he was violating his probation by being there. And this 14-year-old girl stops him right then and there and says, no. And she goes up to these gates and she reaches out her arms, says, Father, I, I forgive you. And this man falls to his knees, weeping, crying, Say, how? How can you forgive me after everything I've done to you? How can you forgive me? And her response was the gospel. If God can forgive me, how can I not forgive you? And I remember hearing that story as a teenager saying, that's what I want. That's the life change I want. Not this going to church, not just, just going through the motions, not just trying to add a little morality to my life, but to be so transformed that my wounds, my tragedies, everything that's happened to me means nothing compared to the gospel that's happening in me. That's what I want. Two years ago, I went to this orphanage and I talked to this missionary and I told him the impact that this story had on my life. And he said, well, you haven't heard the rest of the story then. He said, this man was so broken. The missionary went and witnessed to him and he got saved then and there. This man went to seminary got trained, and now today he's in some prison in Guatemala preaching the gospel. All because a little girl didn't allow her pain, her wounds, what happened to her, determine who she was going to be. Church, true disciples make disciples who make disciples. Is that who we're going to be this morning? Are we going to be a church that says, God, take it all? God, take it all. I'm tired of living in this wound. I'm tired of living in, in, in pursuing these things that don't satisfy, that don't fulfill. I want to live since. 
I want to live on mission. I want to live all in for your kingdom and your glory. Making disciples, I'm going to wrap it up with this if the worship wants to come up. Making disciples is simply an overflow of being a disciple. Think about that. Making disciples is an overflow of being a disciple. Proclaiming the love of Christ is an overflow of sharing in the love of Christ. So if we're not sharing in the love of Christ, maybe we need to have some introspection this morning and ask ourselves, am I living in the love of Christ? Am I sharing in the life of Christ? Because if I'm not being a disciple, if I'm not making disciples, then am I truly a disciple myself? If I'm not sharing the love of Christ, am I living in the love of Christ? Is that me this morning? True disciples make disciples who make disciples. Let me ask you, Sunday school teacher, life group leader, who's your... We, we, you have spiritual children probably, the people who you invest in every week. Let me ask you, who's your spiritual grandchildren? Who have you poured into and released and is now making disciples? Who's your spiritual great-grandchildren? Are we living since Brevard County, the state, the nation, the world? Are we living on mission? If you're in here and you don't know what that means, you don't know what it means to experience the love of the Father, myself and other pastors would love to explain to you what that means. We would love to lead you where you can have that everlasting life. Or maybe you're in here and if you're honest with yourself, you're not living on on mission. You're not living sent. Maybe God wants to do something in you this morning. Maybe this morning, February 10th, 2019, is gonna be a day that transforms your life forever, not because of a message, but because of what God wants to do in your heart. Let's stand. Father, we love you. Move in our lives in the way that only you can. Father, I pray that if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that their pride will be put aside and they will come to the saving knowledge of your, of your son. And God, I pray that if there's anyone in here, that God, you're convicting their hearts, maybe to be a church planner, God, maybe to, maybe to be a, a foreign missionary or maybe just to live sent in their everyday life. God, I pray that they just lay that before you this morning. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.